So when you say how do we cope with living in such a small space in the caravan, we're actually finding it the other way around. We're having trouble adjusting to this big space. We're having trouble adjusting to the busy life. Uh, And we're having trouble trying to deal with all the stuff that we have. You're listening to the Creative Habits Podcast, exploring the boundaries of creativity with artists from around the globe. And now your host, Wyatt Christman. Hey, this is Wyatt with Creative Habits Podcast, and this week we've got Melinda Hammond on. And Melinda lives in a caravan across uh, Australia with her kids. She's a writer, and we talk about what it's like living in the space, the benefits of that space uh, for both um, interactivity and the stuff of life. We also uh, delve into some of the benefits of imbibing a landscape into the writing that you do. So enjoy the show. All right, this is Why with Creative Habits Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. And this week we've got Melinda Hammond on the line. Melinda, nice to have you on the show. Why don't you give us a little uh, background for those that don't know you? Okay, thanks, Wyatt. Thanks for having me uh, with you today or very, very early here in um, downtown Australia. I live in sunny Brisbane in Queensland. I'm pretty blessed with a great life. I live for most part of the year on the road. I have a, um, what you call over there, I guess, an RV, and I get to um, talk to people wherever I go and hear about their stories and their adventures. Uh, there's no better life, I don't think. Yes, indeed. I mean, being on the road is a wonderful experience. It's romantic in a sense. But being on the road 24-7, now that's got to be interesting, right? Uh, it became very interesting in the last couple of years. My daughters and I lived in our caravan for um, yeah, close on two years. My daughters are 16 and 13. We had two dogs, a cat, and we've just accumulated a couple of fish. So it has become a bit crowded. I, I set up our little garden uh, and I found that I spent a lot of time outside while the girls commandeered the caravan and spread out with their, um, what do you call it, technology. So I, I found myself outside a lot with the kookaburras and my cup of hot chocolate um, trying to avoid the chaos. Yeah, but I tell you, with with all that going on, you still are able to write and, you know, be creative, which is uh, hands down a a great thing to be able to do. I mean, organizationally, just having one place to live, it's hard to, you know, put together the time and everything. But with you and um, being on the road, you get some inspiration, I would imagine, from all those uh, the people that you meet. But at the same time, you have to still, uh, you know, put put pen to paper, right? So how how do you work that uh, pen to paper bit when you've got all that chaos going on? Um, Well, to be perfectly honest, Wyatt, my inspiration comes from the landscape. We have a great novelist over here called Tim Winton, and he's the ultimate landscape novelist, and he's over in the west coast of Australia, and he has always written about our beautiful country. So when I started my writing probably close on 20 years ago now, I was inspired by this man. Um, My ex-husband was a mine manager, so we were very lucky to live in most states of Australia and mostly outback places, what I guess some people would call exotic. So you're out in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes if you see a tree or a blade of grass, you go, wow, isn't that exciting? Um, But it does create... um, 
a great inspirational setting, I guess. Um, not many people have the have the privilege of seeing Australia to the extent that I have and not many people have the privilege of living and writing out there. So from that respect, I've been very, very lucky. Uh, some people here in Australia wouldn't call it that. Some people call it the back of beyond and the boondocks and would not live out there for all the money. They prefer the city life. But I, I like being out where it's a little bit more peaceful. Yeah, it's peaceful but and and wonderful. The... Uh you know, pictures and everything you can get from that. And at the same time, it can also be a distraction. But how do you how do you keep organized with your pen to paper? And do you, you know, how, how do you um, uh, reconcile, you know, that kind of wild life, so to speak, with, uh, with uh, just writing? Yeah. Well, times have changed, Wyatt. When I started back, back in the good old days, it was pen and paper and I'd go down to the creek with my chair slung over my shoulder, um, dare I say a can of Coke in my hand, and I could just write with a backpack and sit sit by a creek for hours. Nowadays, of course, we've got all this technology that we cart around with us. Uh, so we've got iPads, we've got computers, and we've got all the associated problems with keeping them charged. So I've got to admit, in the olden days, it was a whole lot easier in some respects in that I could write and write a lot in a few hours. Um, But nowadays, um, we've trained ourselves to need all this paraphernalia and having to take it from paper to computer becomes a little bit tedious, even though I used to call that my second draft. So now I write straight onto the computer and, of course, you have to be tethered to a PowerPoint because most of our... um, I guess technology or our, our gizmos only stay charged for a few hours. Um, but I have managed recently in oh, probably the last three months to solve that problem as well. I've bought myself an iPad Pro and it stays charged for 10 hours. So I'm actually now free again to go back and find my rock and my creek and and not have to worry about being, I guess, close to home where the noises happen and the distractions happen. And I don't know about you, Wyatt, and your wife, but when I'm at home, I feel that I've got to do dishes and sweep floors and clean bathtubs, all those things that we do um, before we start to write and before we know it, our days are gone and we haven't written a word. Yeah, good point. <laughs> the dishes, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's that call to just, you know, get normal stuff done. Uh, and so the iPad Pro, that's interesting. I hadn't um, thought that that would be, you know, uh, in, in terms of writing, um, what do you, you're able to just type uh, directly in there with without uh, too much of a hassle, right? Yeah, and even in the last couple of weeks, we are so blessed. Uh, Scrivener has now come, we can now download that in iOS form onto our um portable devices. So I don't even need my Mac for Scrivener. Uh, Yesterday was a day off here in Brisbane. We had what's known as the Eka Day or the Show Day. So I sat out in the backyard um, because my youngest daughter, who's 13, she had a friend over and it was so noisy. It was insane. I went and buried myself out in the um, backyard and um, I wrote for the day on my iPad 
and it was just wonderful. I didn't have to be plugged in. I didn't have a need for a pen and paper where I had to go and retype it later. It's all there sitting uh, in my folder, all edited, and if I wanted to, I could upload it into an ebook form if and when it's ready. Um, spoilt rotten, love it dearly, um, but I do think that in the olden days we did have some advantages with that pen and paper. Um, I do miss it. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit old school sometimes. Pen and paper, you can't go past it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, th- so the road. Uh, tell us what it's like. You know, uh, living on the on the road in terms of the the people you meet. It that uh, in itself would be definitely a source of inspiration and characters because you're you, you write romance novels, right? And the characters you probably meet you probably meet quite a few different people that uh, are good, uh, you know, character inspiration, right? Oh, definitely. Um, having said that, for I've just taken six months out and we've rented a house, so I'm cheating a little bit um, <laughs> in order <laughs> in order to get my new podcasting life up and running. So I am in a house at the moment and I am very spread out, which is a treat. Uh, but we did do a big road trip down the south coast of New South Wales over Christmas and I've got my books painted on my caravan, so that creates a talking um, point for for a start and I've got a little sign a little sandwich board sign that I stick out the front and I don't actively trip everyone over as they walk past our rig and say do you want to buy a book but I'll be sitting out there quite often uh, typing away or I'll, I'll be checking a manuscript and people will come over and they'll chat with me and they'll be looking and they'll be curious and they don't want to buy a book but I do have some middle grade fiction books uh, and they often have their children with them and of course their children can't resist. Um, unfortunately and to my daughter's disgust I end up giving away more than I actually sell uh, or I'll give them away for two for $10 or something and my daughter's saying, Mummy, this is going to pay for our campsite for the next month. Are you sure you want to give stuff away? And I say, I will be right. And to be perfectly honest, Wyatt, the one thing I have found since I've been uh, travelling the way that I do is that no matter what happens, we're always okay. Uh, We don't need as much as we think we do. Uh, Here in suburbia in Brisbane, I'm paying $500 a week in rent. I've got electricity bills. I need work for uh, clothes for work. It's it is really expensive when you're out there uh, living in the big wide uh, landscape. You don't need as much, and it doesn't cost as much. And I don't know what it's like over there in America, but here uh, free camping is becoming very very popular. People are looking for spots where they don't have the huge um, caravan park fees of, you know, $50, $60 a night. And especially with me travelling with children, um, they charge you for that extra person. So, yeah. That's ridiculous. (laughs) That's the way it works, unfortunately. So with my rig, we can be self-sufficient. We can go what's, I guess you guys call it as well, off-grid. And while we're away at Christmas, we spent a couple of weeks tucked away um, what we would call with nothing. We had nothing. We had just our solar panels and us and no power. Unfortunately, our outdoor shower didn't work, so we had to swim in the creek each day. Um, so that was that was an adventure and it was fun. But we also had to look after our, the charge in our iPads and our all our computers and things. So we found each other talking, talking a lot, um, sitting around reading books, playing card games, doing all the things that we used to do prior to our technology. Um, we found ourselves in 
at one stage there. We all had our iPads in front of us. We were all lying out under the stars with our mattresses and we were playing a game of... um, Oh, what was it? It was Scrabble. We were playing Scrabble, but we're all playing it on our iPads. We're all linked up and we're all playing the same game, but we weren't looking at each other. Uh, So I I immediately jumped up, put all our um, gizmos away in in a cupboard that I've got, and I got out the good old-fashioned Scrabble board, and suddenly we were having a whole lot more fun. And I think we forget that a bit nowadays. Oh, definitely we forget that. That is always a good idea to just kind of take some time and make it a regular thing with all those devices. It, you pretty much have to take a diet every once in a while just to interact in a normal way, which is a sad state. Um, well, you know, that's an inspiration to think, um, you know, anyone could actually do a bit of, of what you're doing. Um, and if they did want to, let's say they, they said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a week hit the road, and I'll keep writing and hit the road. What what kind of um, tips would you give them to uh, stay sane um, while while writing and, and, and road tripping? <laughs> One of the things you keep saying to me, Wyatt, is keep sane and how do you manage it and how, when you, yeah, how do you do well, it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, but it <laughs> just seems like, you know, I, I go for a small road trip. I go for, a, you know, a day or maybe a, a couple of days at most, and I'm like, you get out of the car and you're like, woo, you know. <laughs> See, we're we're actually the opposite. Because we've always lived in remote locations, right from when my children were babies, we'd travelled to the coast from a place called Cloncurry, and it was 10 hours from the coast, so our distances are fairly large like they are over there with you. And we'd listen to the Harry Potter books, and we'd listen to, I think they were Andy Griffin, there's lots and lots of audio books that we know pretty much off by heart, and we've moved from the Harry Potters in English to the Harry Potters in French because we're so sick to death of the English versions Um, but we couldn't imagine life any way any other way we're in the house here at the moment and it's upstairs downstairs I've got the whole downstairs to myself and my study and the girls are upstairs quite often we have three mattresses on the floor in the lounge room uh, and we spend most of our time there together because we get lost in this huge rambling house And we lose touch with each other too a little bit, I guess. Um, While we're here in Brisbane, we've got the problem that we're all going in different directions and we all get a little bit lonely because we don't see each other as much as we used to when we lived in 17-foot of caravan. Um, So when you say how do we cope with living in such a small space in the caravan, we're actually finding it the other way around. We're having trouble adjusting to this big space. We're having trouble adjusting to the busy life. Uh, And we're having trouble trying to deal with all the stuff that we have. Um, Since we're in a house, I've unpacked a container of furniture that we've had in storage for some time now. And we've got piles of books. We've got piles of clothes. We've got kitchen utensils shoved up against walls. Uh, if my sister was ever listening to this, she'd slap me and say, get yourself organised. <laughs> I, actually, I actually want to toss it all out again because it's creating great stress. We don't need it. We don't want it. But we kept it just in case we might. So when we go back in the van this time, I think we'll just ditch the lot. I think that's great. You know, I, I, that's great. You, you put, it, put it out there that it's actually a serious benefit to lose all the crap and, uh, and actually interact with each other in a small space because you're forced to interact. And, I, you know, the loneliness part and the whole uh, device and centrification, and it's, um, 
Yeah, it's a good point to be to be had that uh, you can actually have a better life uh, in certain respects for for all that space that you can kind of get lost in a house. So part of the reason you um, are in that location, you mentioned was because of the podcast, right? Now you have the podcast that you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that inspiration and um, how, how that's going and, and where it's headed next uh, when you go back on the road? Uh, yeah, one of the things that I'm really interested in, Wired, is um, mobile co- podcasting. I'm upskilling myself with video, um, being able to throw my gear in a backpack. I've just been exploring the idea of um, videoing with my iPhone in a prof- to a professional standard, and apparently there's little bits and pieces you can buy to attach to your iPhone so that I can get professional standard video to go with my audio. Uh, so part of the idea with the iPad Pro and my mics and the way I travel is that when I'm out there talking to people in, in more remote locations, I can actually um, record my uh, podcast, edit it, upload it, without having a need to come back to my Mac and do it all from the desktop. There are guys out there who are far more tech savvy than I am and they're they're out there. I think there's called I think he's called the Mobile Pro. Um, I'm not quite sure, but he's out there um, doing it at the moment and I'm watching him very, very closely because when we go back out um, at Christmas we're heading we're doing a big road cruise road trip across Australia to Western Australia. So I think it's about four or five thousand kilometers. And I'll be I'll be recording and videoing as we cross the Nullarbor, um, which is which is the big um desert area here in Australia. But there's some spectacular countryside as you cross there, the Great Australian Bight. And not a lot of people have done it by road. Um when I say that you know, of course, every grey nomad and their dog have, have done it, but suburban people don't do it and they still see it as exotic. So I'd like to speak to people as we cross there. Here in Australia, we have a lot of characters, uh, the lot, lot of the old Aussie outback blokes, if you like, the Bushmen, and they are icons in our country, and I'm sure you've got them over there as well. But people still want to read about them. They want to hear their stories. What would make a man disappear into the bush for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years and, you know, wear the blue singlet, I guess, and the Akubra hat. And they're, they're the real the real Australians um, that do actually exist out there. So so it's interesting, it's fun, um, but I, I do believe in lifelong learning and I do believe that if we want to, I guess, stay, stay in touch and, and keep in touch with um, the technologies, we have to be using them because things are changing uh, far more quickly than um, we can possibly imagine and the traditional jobs just won't be there and especially for our children. Yes, yes, for our children for sure and uh, it's changing more rapidly than definitely than people realise, um, much faster. And it's interesting that you're out there collecting um, those stories and getting in contact with, with the remote um, uh, people and the nomads um, what uh because one of the things you you uh, comment upon um on your site is the fact that you like fiction more than fact and so i'm curious as to if you will take a a slight turn and go factual with your accounts across the country or if you will continue to weave your uh stories into fiction 
Well, it's funny because uh, I went down the academic route there um, in the last 20 years. I started off um, very interested in Mills and Boone and romance novels, uh, and then I won, a, I guess, an Australian scholarship to complete um, my PhD, and I ended up writing um, my novel The Miner's Wife, and I'm currently putting the thesis together, the non-fiction part of that, before we go over to Western Australia where the novel's set. Uh, I'm putting that together um, for my road trip at Christmas. And the story behind that is a gold-stealing heist that when we lived in a little place called Norseman on the edge of the Nullarbor, uh, I used to play golf with the guys on these, I guess, salt lakes um, on the edge of the on the edge of the desert. There, all very romantic, all very exotic, but absolutely nothing there. And the blokes used to tell me yarns or stories, and I thought they were making them up. And I was doing my PhD and writing my novel, and I'd go and I'd sit on top of the tailings dam or the slime dump or any of those romantic things that you know exist in mining camps and I'd write down what they were telling me and I weaved it into my novel about you know stealing gold and um, hiding it and all those kinds of things uh, I was very interested a couple of years later to find that those guys are now in jail and that the stories they were telling me were actually true oh, and no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, you know, they were buying tea tree farms in, um, I guess, coastal locations for their retirement, and that's actually what they were doing. So so it was all in my novel um, because, as again, I'm a landscape writer, I'm a realist writer, I, I do a lot of historical research, and I've, I've put it all in there. So the gold-stealing squad in Kalgoorlie for a time there were quite interested in my research notes, um, and I didn't pass them over because I was embarrassed. I was a, I was a writer and I was private and I thought they wanted to laugh at my work. But in fact, they were actually looking for for the stories that I'd recorded. Uh, so it was all very funny. And, and I'm putting a little bit of that in into my nonfiction, into how I wrote, um, I guess, The Miner's Wife, and looking at the myth that surround um, the mining story here in Australia. A lot of literary writers have, have written these stories in the past. Catherine Susanna Pritchard is one of them. She's, she was quite famous here in Australia. So I've been looking at those myths and trying to pull it together in a current day context as we still see um, those out outback lifestyles as quite exotic and the um, crime still happens out there but of course it's high tech crime nowadays um, I touched on that at the stock exchange and a few different things in in the novel um, but I should imagine now uh, things are a lot more sophisticated um, than they were back then but it, it, going through my research notes and looking at the books that I referred to does bring back some memories and I realise now that we do all our writing, I guess, on the internet now. We don't travel anywhere because we've got um, access to so much and so much, I, I guess, historical data. We don't have to, have to actually get out there and do it other than, I guess, a few weeks where we can get the smells and sights down pat. As writers, we're, we're spoiled. It's this sensory part that brings forth some uh, bits of the subconscious to get you to write in particular ways that 
you wouldn't otherwise, like if you relied just upon the research, you, what you're doing is much more vivid, and you'll, that'll come through with your writing, I would expect. Uh, so y- y- you're right, spoiled, but at the same time robbed, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone told me, I listened to someone, and he said uh, he writes his stories, and it could be in London or wherever, and all he has to do is Google Earth it, and he's there, and I'm going, oh, that just wouldn't work for me. I actually have to go there, and I have to sit there. Yeah, and the characters you meet, besides being in the landscape, uh, you you don't uh, meet those same characters if you're just on Google, right? <laughs> well, I was, I've, I've just when I was down at Christmas, I went back to my hometown of Goulburn, uh, where I grew up. I wanted to show my daughters, and I camped for a month on my brother's verge or his side lawn with the caravan. So we had used their facilities, but could retire to our caravan injured when it got too noisy over the Christmas period. But I, I um, put together a little story called Return to Riversdale and it's a historical, I guess, cottage down there. And I created these characters and one woman in particular, I had this older woman, she'd come back to find um, the story of her forebears and I was in Sydney with my daughter. We were looking at a university for her to attend in the next couple of years and we were at Central Railway Station, which is the main, I guess, railway station. And when I was a kid I used to meet my mum under the big clock. It had this big central um, clock and it was where anyone who travelled through Sydney by train from the country always met under the big clock. So I took my daughter and I stood her under the big clock and I said, this is what we used to do when we were kids. And lo and behold, a woman came up behind us and she was an older woman and she was from the country, it turned out, when I started talking to her. And she had one of those old portmanteaus, those old um, carpet bag suitcases and it was all the old tapestry and things and she had on a cardigan a really old-fashioned long cardigan and a a tapestry skirt she was obviously older beautifully dressed but a little bit um i guess tattered around the edges she had a hair in a bun and she was heading back to a place called bathurst and i asked her would, would would she mind if i took her photo because she was my character now if i hadn't gone with my daughter and stood under the big clock that character wouldn't have come and stood beside me with her portmanteau and now she's a central um, focus for one of my stories so it's amazing how things come about excellent yes i mean wow you you definitely wouldn't and uh the 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 characters uh are are drawn to you uh when you travel on the road uh and so that's that's a bit of um fortuitousness there because you know if you just go and and you go someplace like let's say i drove to a, a city and just hung out and had lunch, you're not going to get that same draw of characters that you get when you're on the road and you're going to be in a different, you're going to stop at different locations, you're going to attract uh, different people to you uh, because of what you're doing. So you you get the definite benefit of that. I, there's a practical standpoint that I wanted to ask you about, and that has to do with the kids. And I just wondered how you were able to make that um, work on the road. Uh, I imagine you homeschool then, of course, yes? Uh, there's a story in itself, wide. I don't know how many hours we've got here. Right. <laughs> uh, I used to homeschool them when they were younger because we lived in mining camps and we moved around a lot. And they used to go to school sometimes and I used to keep them at home sometimes, much to the angst of some of the teachers. I am a teacher and I know what goes on in schools. And, yes, it was good for the friendships, but 
We also did a lot at home and we got a lot out of um, being together. We sort of didn't homeschool, we unschooled, which meant we didn't do any schoolwork whatsoever. But we read our books and we wrote our books and we made our little films and all that kind of thing. Uh, When we moved to a tropical island up off the North Queensland coast called Magnetic Island, we agreed immediately that being locked in a classroom was the really worst thing we could possibly do uh, on a tropical island. So we chose not to go to school there. I was very privileged because my husband had a very good income, so we didn't need to work. Uh, So the girls and I uh, unschooled and people were very concerned about the socialisation of that, that the girls would suffer and, you know, being stuck with mum all the time would be really boring. Uh, firstly, we all get on very well together and we do a lot of things together and we're all a little bit silly and climb trees. The other thing is uh, there's lots of activities wherever you are that the kids can join in. So the girls found themselves doing, uh, what do you call it, hula hooping and fire dancing and all those kinds of things with, with their friends when their friends finish school. Uh, during the school hours, my 16-year-old, who was then 12, she wrote, I think it was a 30-something thousand word novel, um, which was an amazing feat for someone that young, young over a period of about six months of Uh, yeah six months eight months Um, unfortunately her mother forgot to type it all up for her so we don't have much evidence of that novel now but she'll never forget that intrinsic value of typing the end and it was that sense of achievement that someone so young achieved such an amazing I guess um, sense of satisfaction and it's why we write sometimes I know there's a current trend it's all about money and it's all about churning five books out in three weeks and and selling it on Amazon but I'm I'm not convinced that's why some of us write. Um, I think my daughter learnt that at a very early age and a very good age. No one can give you that sense of achievement um, if you don't go through the work. And to that end, she and I are currently putting together a a writing course for teenagers called Story Slingers. Um, and this, that title came from a, another friend of ours called Kevin Tumlinson, who write, has a podcast called The Word Slinger. And I stole, I or I bastardised his title and called it Story Slingers. And I want to give back to young people who are out there, either homeschooling or not getting the um, satisfaction from the school system, uh, that chance to feel that intrinsic. Um, value of having achieved something. So my daughter, who's now 16, um, spent most of yesterday with me writing, putting together this an e-book for this course. And again, we did it in a day. We pulled it together in a day, something we've been talking about and thinking about. But we knuckled down and we did this thing and it's now um, offered the designers while he, he puts together all the artwork to go with it. So we're lucky, we're privileged and it's exciting, but we've certainly got a lot of projects still still on the go. Wow, that's good. I uh, will <clears throat> would love to follow up and get get the um, you know information or be able to get a hold of that book uh, when you have have it out. Do you know when you'll how, how are you going to put it out into the world? Well, we've got the the idea is it's um, an online writing course because I'm on the road. I'm trying to I've run physical workshops for many years. I'm trying to put all my business online now. So the idea is that this will be an online writing course for kids. But a couple of months ago, again, I'm I'm not very technically savvy, but I discovered this wonderful thing called Facebook Live. And as soon as I did my first one minute six o'clock in the morning Facebook Live test, and two hundred people came on to watch, I went 
this is the forum that I've been looking for to reach out to my students. So my online writing course, it won't be so much of content of PDFs and downloads and all that kind of stuff because kids like to be able to see you and they like to be able to interact with you. So there'll be a Facebook group and within within that Facebook group each Sunday night or whenever at 5 o'clock, I will go live on Facebook. Um, I'll be talking. Kids will be you know, typing in their questions and asking their questions and I'll be answering them and chatting with them. Um, My daughter will be with me. Uh, She has a rapport with the kids as well. And those um, weekly chats will be sitting there inside the course that um, students can go back and refer to whenever they want to. And the funny thing was I was doing my very first Facebook Live practice Uh, As I said, it was about a month ago and it was 6 o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting there pressing buttons trying to work out how this thing works and all these little love hearts and thumbs up and everything are going across the screen and I'm saying, oh, great, someone's listening to me. And it was my 13-year-old upstairs and I didn't realise that. And I said, "Um, what happens now? And anyway, she typed in a question and I'm going, well, how do I answer that question? And she said, you talk. (laughs) And I thought, okay, I've got it. I know how this works now. Uh, But what a wonderful tool to be able to still interact with students face-to-face on a regular basis and and just mentor them through that that often lonely process of of writing a novel. So we're their cheer squad and and we're there for them. And to answer your question, which I don't seem to be doing at all this morning, um, I'm thinking back to our podcast question, um, with the writing course, I'm hoping to have it live by the 1st of September. I ran a live workshop just to test it. Um, up in the Sunshine Coast hinterland at a little eco-village and there were a group of homeschooling kids of about 15 students and we did a live workshop. Um, my, my eldest daughter does theatre at a local academy here so we called it a theatre writing workshop and the kids completely sidelined me and they just wanted to do theatre uh, workshop activities with my daughter and so she took them down into the paddocks for oh, two or three hours and they did all these theatre writing exercises and they're now very very keen to feed into my novel writing course so between my daughter and I I think we've got a bit of a market I think kids are keen to do something different they're keen to achieve something on their own without test scores and marking and people being the gatekeepers and so I've got kids saying well can we have the course yet can we have the course yet and I'm going haha we haven't made it but we're, we're trying we're trying to get our head around teachable we're trying to get our head around how to to pull all the technical stuff together but it'll be there on the 1st of September and you know what those kids that I we did the live workshop with um on the weekend they'll be bored by then and they'll have moved on to something else so my advice is when you've got a course ready to launch don't tell your students until it's actually up there because otherwise they'll nag you to death (laughs) well that's excellent and okay so wow if 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 someone's very inspired by and want to nag you further though <laughs> where where can they go to um to get more information not necessarily about particularly about the course although i imagine on your website you'll announce it but to learn more about what you're doing um to get uh, be able to, to, to sub- subscribe to your podcast and so on where should they go uh it's this is a surprise to everybody www.writeronthered.com um it's got a lovely cartoon of our caravan which i absolutely adore and the podcast is coming along sweepingly wide i seem to have tapped into the romance um writers readers network and i've been 
privileged to interview a couple of um, high-profile romance writers here in Australia, and they seem to bring an awful lot of loyal fans with them. So I can't actually get my podcasts up quickly enough for these guys to download. So if you want to go over and have a look at Writer on the Road, um, I didn't answer the podcasting question, but the answer is, yeah, romance writing uh, and, and indie publishing. I'm a huge advocate of indie publishing. I'm not a traditional publishing person at all because I think giving away our rights in this day and age is absolutely insane. Uh, having said that, a lot of my guests are traditionally published through Harlequin, Mills and Boone and all those um, uh, romance, I guess, writing uh, channels that, that are proving so very, very popular and financially viable for them. Uh just please don't give away your rights, anybody. You'll, you'll struggle to get them back. Uh, and what else have I got to tell you? Oh, that was that was <laughs> enough. That, that was great. And I, I'm glad you said that. Don't give away your rights. And I, I think there's um, more, much more to that for those that don't want to give away their rights. There's uh, another book probably in, or a course in there, how to re, re, uh, keep your rights and then how to, uh, you know, move on. And still, uh, you know, uh, make money from your writing and so on. But um, thank you so much yeah. for being on the show, Melinda. It's uh, been great to have you, and um, I'll, I'll be following your podcast for sure, and uh, so I'll be able to hear uh, more of your adventures. And I hope everybody else here will do the same. Okay, thanks, Wyatt. It was fun. <laughs>